0: All I see is another attempt by humanity to rob us of our identity.
1: It's proof of our desire to communicate.
0: Is that why you're here on my ship, Starfleet intruder?
1: You are Cole. You took to Kuvla's place.
0: And have you come here to take the place of the human that this belongs to? Because I see that it holds value to you. Well, it makes for a useful object to pick my teeth.
1: I thought Klingons were honorable.
0: As if you understand honor.
1: Where is the honor of taking a ship that doesn't belong to you? (laughs) You had no hand in the battle that caused this war. You were not here when takuvma fell. And how would you know such things? Because I was here.
0: I'm the one who killed Tukuvma. Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and tonight we're going to be talking about the ninth episode of Star Trek Discovery's first season, which was titled Into the Forest I Go. It was written by Bo Young Kim. And Erica LePolt, and directed by Chris Byrne. And with me on the mic to discuss this episode is first and foremost my co-host and simply syndicated regular Rick Tatro. How are you doing, sir? And into the forest I go to
3: lose my mind and find my soul by John Weir.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the full quote. Yeah.
3: Hi guys, gang,
2: <laughs> fellows, aliens,
3: etc.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and my cosmic potato co-host, Mr. John Irons, is here. How are you, sir? Hey,
4: good. (laughs) What's up, man?
2: (laughs) And returning to the show is journalist and author, Mr. Christopher D. Philippus. How are you, sir? I'm well, Sean. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks Uh, for having me back. No problem. No problem. Always always a a pleasure. Um, The only piece of news as far as discovery that I have is that they did announce that the second half of the season will begin on Sunday, January 7th. 2000, 2018 and the name of that episode is despite yourself and it will be directed by jonathan frakes so uh we got that to look forward to uh may, maybe a mirror universe episode since he's the one that kind of leaked that <laughs> also the
5: the title it's, is telling right despite yourself
2: despite yourself yeah right. yeah exactly we'll get where well, we're gonna get into all that um i just wanted to let the listeners know here at the top of the show um we're going to be taking that same break. So this will be our last episode for the fall. We're going to break for the holidays. We're going to come back the week after, uh, you know, the day after the episode airs, we'll, we'll start recording again. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's just get an overall idea of what everybody thought of this episode. Uh, What did you guys, uh, Rick, I'll start with you. What did you think of discovery's mid season finale?
3: Oh my God. Uh, I, I, I almost watched it for a third time tonight before doing the show after I got the, the young and in bed, uh, and I just did, ended up doing too much stuff and I wouldn't have been able to finish it. And that would have just driven me crazy. Uh, this show <laughs> just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Uh, it, just, and, and like, I only have one nitpick this week, which I'll save for later, but, uh, this just oh my god <laughs> that's all i can say right now <laughs> it was just so amazing and burnham i'm so in love with that character now uh you know i always liked her but now i, I was i would just i am team burnham all the way like uh just, her, she was such a badass in this one it was amazing yeah yeah um so yeah fantastic fantastic episode i loved how they left us where they left it hanging uh and and the, the the tidbits they've dangled in front of us. I know a lot of people are are displeased with the lack of questions answered. I'm thrilled with it. I'm I'm on this. I'm in this for the long run. I know it's a 15 story, a 15 episode story, and I'm mm-hmm. um, you know I don't want them revealing too much this early in the game. So I'm I'm digging it.
2: Yeah, I think it, I mean it's it's clearly it's going to be 15 episodes long overall for this story but clearly they've set up a chapter one and a chapter two because they tied up some loose. In, I mean, not loose ends, but they tied up some stuff mm-hmm. in the, in this episode. But obviously there's some new stuff that's opening. Just like, I, you know, I kind of said that last week, the kind of, that's kind of like what they do with the flash. They, uh, at the end of every season, they tie up everything and then they do something else right at the end to, to, to give you a cliffhanger for what's to come after that. So I, very clearly a chapter one and a chapter two we're closing chapter one and we're going on to chapter two in January. So, mm. uh, let me move over to Chris. What'd you think?
5: I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, for a mid season finale, very strong, uh, at least, you know, much stronger than the two episodes that preceded it, which I really didn't like, but, uh, what you said, Sean, about them closing the book in one case and opening another book—it feels to me like they were closing. Oh, can, uh, I'm worried about spoilers. Do we still have a spoiler/non-spoiler section?
2: I think everybody that's listening has probably watched the episode, okay. so so we won't, we won't worry too much about it.
5: I like to say they're closing the book or just ending this chapter of the Klingon war story. And I love how at the end they brought it back to the exploration aspect of the show. And Mm -hmm. it looks to me like when we come back in January, they're going to be diving so much more deeply into that, into the Spore Drive, into Stamets' experiences with the Spore Drive. And I can't wait. I'm really, really jazzed. But as far as like a taught war show, with with action but like meaningful action in this one there was a lot going on but every bit of it was important it wasn't just needless explosions and exposition you know it really really tight episode yeah
2: okay john
4: it was all right (laughs) (laughs) send him to the burial room (laughs) good talk good talk Uh, well okay you want you want the um Do you want to to speak on it before I do my little uh, summary review?
2: Well, I mean, basically what I just said. I think that uh, as far as the show overall, I mean, I I love this episode. Um, The show overall so far is so much better than what we have ever gotten in the first season of a Star Trek series. The characters that we've been introduced to have been developed more in nine episodes than a lot of characters get developed in seven years on some of the on some of the other series. I
3: have to disagree with you just yeah. at one point. Tos came out of the gate swinging, and it's I mean it's it's kind of not fair to compare their character development uh, paradigm with modern day storytelling. Yeah, and I think season one of Tos was as was as solid as any uh any season of any Star Trek.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. But I I'm I'm mostly thinking of uh next gen next gen DS9 Voyager. I know because nobody it, ever thinks of TOS anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I do, Rick. I do. <laughs> That's just not I mean it's not the show that I grew up with. I mean I I I watch it, you know, but um <laughs> but I just feel like, you know, I've I have i have gotten to know more about these characters and some of the some of the characters that were on the next generation for 7 years. Oh yeah. You know, we disagree didn't, Yeah, didn't get developed as much as Burnham and 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 Stamets and and Saru and Lorca have over the last just nine episodes. So so I am I'm I'm in love with the show and this this episode I don't know if I want to say this is the best episode that we've gotten so far, because it, it seems like we say that every week. This is the best episode so far. and But uh, I think my favorite episode so far is still uh, Lethe. I, I still think that, that the character development that happened in that episode it was the strongest, but this episode is a, a strong second. You know, and the, pro- the special effects in this episode were incredible. I mean, it, yeah. any it's cinematic, you know, it, it it would I would argue that it w- could compare to anything that they've done in the Kelvin universe as far as special effects.
5: It's funny you say that, because I was thinking the exact same thing when I was watching it for the second time about, you know, a half an hour ago that. The, the effects and just the ship effects alone are better than anything that we've mm-hmm. seen in the Kelvin verse. It's just so much more colorful and dynamic. And, and it's just, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just more there. It, yeah. it, it, it's so much more present and so much more, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely
2: beautiful. I
3: love yeah. watching the Discovery maneuver. It's, uh, I mean, I, it's an ugly ship, but when it's moving, it's gorgeous.
2: Yeah. And the detail when they go over to the Klingon ship, the Klingon bridge is so yeah. detailed. It's almost like I'm looking at a painting. Gives you a every, headache <laughs> every every time they show it. You know, is yeah. is wonderful. Rick, you were about to say something before I, I interrupt you. I'm sorry. I was sorry. just
3: going to say that I am having I have trouble. Like when you say this is you know my favorite episode, or or I have trouble. We talk about favorite episodes. Uh, when I look back on it, because it's such a, you know, because it's such a long story arc. I have trouble thinking of this, of this show. It's in, in episodic, uh, you know, as episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when you, when you say which of your favorite, which movie is your favorite of the Lord of the Rings movies? And it's like, they're all (laughs) kind of, you know, it's one nine hour movie. Right. We just watched it three different instances. And that's how I'm feeling about this show. I think the show is definitely getting better as it goes along. Um, you know, I can't argue with, with problems with the Harry Mudd episode. Um, or last week's, uh, I loved last week's episode. Sorry, I wasn't here, folks. Uh, work got in the way, but you know, I could certainly see why folks wouldn't like it. Um, although it was the closest to anything from TNG or TOS that they've done so far, um, which again may be part of the problem. Uh, I, I just—it's all like one big episode with little, with just individual. They're showing us an hour of it at a time, sort of thing, to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
5: I agree with that. And I would say that the only way episodes stand out is, quote, episodes to me. Rick, I'm I'm kind of in your camp with that. But boy, I will always remember, God, that mud episode was awful. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the one in the forest with, with the spores in the forest. Uh, OK, yeah, I didn't like that episode so much. It wasn't that bad, but it, it stands out. So, yeah, I only I only notice the episodes when I don't like them. So. Hmm.
2: But what? Okay, let me go back to that. You say you didn't like last week's episode, but what did you think of um, Doug Jones performance in that episode?
5: Oh, I thought the performances were fine. Um, It's not so much a question of performance ever on the show. I think everybody gives 100 percent. I just think that there were a couple of things last week that, number one, it was just this side of paradise. Re- revamped for discovery. And, and that's fine, but we've seen that story done a couple of different ways a couple of different times on Star Trek. and it's gonna sound weird that this is my criticism, but that is the episode that felt the most star Trekky so far out of all of these. And I, I, I you know that's not supposed to be a dig, but like I said the first time I was on the show, what I like so much about the show is that it's breaking a mold that I've grown tired of. So when you go back to a planet episode where we're rehashing themes that we've been seeing since 1968 i get a little bit bored and you kind of know where it's going anyway um one other thing that you guys didn't touch on last week did you notice that the whatever the life form on that planet was whether it was spore based or because every effect on the show seems to be spores the Klingon cloaking device the spore drive <laughs> the life mm-hmm. form on that planet in the woods did they transport um tyler right, the, 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 right yeah. yeah i nobody seems to have picked up on that they can they can instantly transport somebody across the planet no i don't remember that yeah they i have to go back and watch it
3: they they brought tyler to uh, burnham and, and saru when they were fighting
5: So are they natural transporters? Did they open some kind of door? I mean, that was a a weird thing. It was just because they wanted to get Tyler there, I think.
3: I suspect we're going to see more of this because when I was watching the episode last night, uh, I was watching the opening uh, theme thingy, and something in that opening theme finally made sense that I didn't realize what it was, and I've been trying to figure it out. The second thing... Just before the drawing of the Discovery goes by the camera is one of the crystals
5: from that transmitter tower thingy. Oh, I always thought that was just a rough dilithium crystal.
3: That's, you know, I, I just sort of went, oh, that's a thing. Now that I, but after seeing uh, uh, last week's episode, sick, bucket blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> that's how you pronounce it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, last night, I'm like, wait a minute. That was a, that was a crystal. And when I rewatched the episode after watching After Trek, uh, I, I paused it and I was like, yeah, that's one of the crystals from the thing. So I think the Povins are going to play a bigger role than we may think they are right now.
2: Yeah, I suspect everything in that opening ha- probably has some meaning that will make sense after we've seen the the entire first season. So, Okay, John, go ahead with, uh, with your uh, plot review. I think. <clears throat> All right.
4: Into the forest I go. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, in the tradition of the best season or mid season finales, it wrapped up major story points and laid the groundwork for stories to come. Just as you said, Sean, the Tyler story is so much better than I worried it was going to be. Uh, Rick mentioned after, after the premiere episode, uh, how pleased he was that, I guess the, after the second episode, technically, um, how pleased he was that Burnham's actions had real consequences. And here we see that Tyler's experiences did as well. In the mid-season finale, the crew of the Discovery comes up with one last plan to thwart the Klingon's cloaking technology. Tyler and Burnham infiltrate the ship of the Dead to install centers, to get data, to produce mm-hmm. an algorithm, blah, 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 to see through the cloak. This episode, was heavy, while heavy on plot, was all about the people. Uh, upon second viewing, I really appreciated the way that they interspersed the scenes of what was happening with Tyler with what was happening uh, to Stamets. Each of them were being pulled apart at the seams and only overcame their circumstances through sheer force of will. But in the process, each of them were also left altered in such a way that the long-term effects have yet to be revealed. As for Burnham, she gets closure on a couple of fronts. She is instrumental in finding a way to counteract the Klingon cloaking technology— and on a personal note, she faces down she faces down Cole on his ship, and has a very my name is Iniga Montoya style showdown. <laughs> uh, she also goes a long way toward mending her relationship with Saru. And Stamets, poor Stamets, one last jump is the Discovery equivalent of a cop saying, "I'm two days away from retirement."
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, you just know this jet's gonna go sideways. It's like saying that's a direct order, Captain Lorca,
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> or that's a direct order, Specialist Burnham.
1: Yeah. Uh,
4: the preview of episodes to come was impressive, and it was impressive in the sense that it made me excited to see it, even though I couldn't really tell what the hell was happening. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, January is only a hop, skip, and a score jump away.
5: Absolutely. just say, nicely done. Nicely done.
2: So. All right, so let's dig into the plot a little bit. So the discovery is ordered to jump to starbase 46 because losing the ship's spore drive would mean losing any upper hand that they would have in this in this war that they're fighting. but but Lorca says go ahead.
3: Before we go there, I want to I want to address something that uh, I don't I listened to last week's show but I don't remember if y'all talked about this or not, but I've seen it floating around um, and it, and it sort of applies here too. There seems to be this belief that the Pavan's are omnipotent beings like the Organians and are planning to bring the two, the Federation and the Klingons together to stop the war. And I don't think that's the case at all.
4: I don't think we know the extent of the power of the pavins. I think they have a compulsion to try to make peace and bring harmony. We don't know what they're actually capable of making other species do, but I think that that is their their, their inherent, you know, uh, peacemakers or negotiators or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think that they're all powerful. I think that they control that crystal tower and can make it do various things, I I think that, that that they affected Saru with that last week, and I think that they uh, I mean, what happened last week was not that that they were using their omnipotent powers to try and stop the war, it's that they were taking what Michael asked them to do and saying, okay, well you know, we'll just have the Klingons come here and you can talk to them
5: <laughs> right, This is, this yeah. is right. how we get this done, and that's what I liked the most about the episode, even though I kind of hemmed it hard earlier, was that They weren't like the Organians. They weren't like a queue where they are just going to manipulate or direct you on what you should do. It seemed like they played this as this is an alien species and they're going to react the way they react. It doesn't have to fit into a frame of reference that we've seen before. So, no, I don't think they're trying to coerce or to control the war between the Federation and the Klingons. I don't think they care about it. They're just trying to help Burnham. And Saru in the way they know how, and it just happens to manifest by bringing the Klingons and the Federation together because
2: that's how they would do it. Yeah, and I also think that they're kind of childlike and innocent, and they didn't really understand what they were being asked. They just did what they understood that they were being asked. You know, Mm -hmm. so
5: now I guess another thing about last week's episode. Now I'm sorry, Rick, but you're going to get me off on it. But but the one thing it's (laughs) it's a fundamental flaw. With Saru's character and his species in general, if you are prey on a planet, how do you evolve into a society where you have beings that could go into Starfleet? If you're basically cattle, yeah,
4: well, I mean, technically, humans were prey.
5: Yeah, but they don't make it like <laughs> they don't make it tools. like Saru's race has overcome this. they're They're still born in fear, and they talk about being food.
4: But I, yeah, but I think that that's, I think that speaks, that's a testament to his character. His character is, as in his personality, not as written. Like, I I think they are saying that he is an exceptional, um, what's the name of his people?
3: Kelpian. Kelpian. Kelpian.
4: Yeah, I think they're saying that he is an exceptional Kelpian.
3: But how would, Uh, I, I agree with, with, uh, Chris here. The, you know, I love Doug Jones's performance. I like Saru. As a character, but the concept of Saru doesn't really work for me, and I'm really getting freaking sick and tired of. I'm a prey species. I'm a prey spe- I'm a pra- I'm a- I just finished reading Desperate Hours, and man, do they bang that drum over and over and over. <laughs> again.
4: I will um, definitely agree that they don't need to say it anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can get behind that, but I don't necessarily have a problem with it, and with him being in Starfleet, I don't. I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I just see that as a lack of the perception of nuance on our part because we think okay he's a prey and you know then we put him in this (laughs) playing the prey card put him in in a particular we put him in a particular box for what we think that means but i view that more as our just being uninformed of um the complexities of a plate of a prey species
3: well how would a prey species evolve to become technologically proficient the reason you know the reason human beings became the apex predators on earth was because we we were our brains developed to the point where we were able to stop having to hide from the predators and start focusing on evolving our intelligence if you never get past that you don't get that luxury
2: I well, we, you know, we'd have I don't know. we, we mean, haven't have heard a whole lot about. We, you know. Go ahead. Well, I was okay. just gonna say we haven't heard a whole lot about his his race. He's the only one of his race that we've met. So I'm kind of under the assumption that they haven't evolved. That they still live as prey on this planet. And he was just kind of removed from that. Maybe he escaped, or maybe he was rescued by someone, or something like that. And brought to brought to earth when he was young or when he was younger. We don't we also don't know how long his lifespan is. You know, so um uh, so we I'm, don't really know how old he is, you know. So that's true.
5: Do you think he's some I'm, kind of foundling from the gamma quadrant? Oh, wait, wrong show, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I think I was, it may be gonna... going along those lines where he was not necessarily not necessarily rescued when he was a baby, but you know, old enough to where he knows where he came from and uh and knows the changes in his life. Now he may be completely different from his race. I imagine that sometime, uh, maybe next season or the season after we're probably going to meet more people, more beings from his race and learn more about it. So yeah. Cause I can't imagine that Kelpia or
5: whatever it is, is a member of the federation. See, I imagined it one species eating another
4: <laughs>
2: <yeah>.
5: intelligent species.
4: <laughs> I imagined it less like a, um, an Odo situation, more like a cork situation. Cause if you remember when the, um, Ferengi premiered, on uh, TNG, they were, you know, pathetic. But, yeah, they were silly. Okay. They were caricatures. And on DS9, you know, they expanded, you know, the 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 culture and the and the the, you know, what it means to be from this race. And they weren't they weren't this you know ridiculous you know one dimensional uh, creature. And I and I eight. and I think that Saru kind of jump to the DS nine level. And I think, I think we just need more. I think we just need more, um, uh, of an explanation and more, um, development of his backstory to, to, to flush out how he got to be where he is. I won't disagree with that.
2: We need to see, we need to see Saru have to go back to his home planet for some reason and go down to the planet with Michael Burnham, and they get stranded down there, and they're being hunted. I think that would be a cool episode. <laughs> she kills everyone. Right. <laughs> okay, one let's talk about episode nine. So, um, okay, so they're ordered to go to Starbase 46. Lorca says, we're not going to use the Spore Drive. We're going to warp, and you've got three hours to figure out a way to, uh, You know, to discover where the Klingons are using their cloaking technology and all that. And then we can spore jump back. And uh, he orders Stamets to go to sickbay because he has to come up with some explanation as to why he's disobeying orders. Stamets doesn't want to go to sickbay because he knows that if uh, the doctor examines him, he'll figure out that he's having all these issues. And then he'll be put in the situation where he either has to order him not to use the spore drive anymore or lose the war, <laughs> you know, and it'll be his fault. So he doesn't want that to happen. So Culvert does scan him. Uh, he said, and he says, techno babble is that um, he he's showing a restructuring of the tracks within the white matter of his medial temporal lobe. And Lorca says, whatever, do it anyway. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and wouldn't that be technically? Wouldn't that be biobabble?
2: Yeah, true. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bible, but but Michael and Saru come up with an idea to detect uh, cloaked ships based on if I if I'm getting this right, they're using the background radiation that's emitted from the ships to be able to uh, figure out where they are. But they you know, have what, to go ahead.
3: What they what they found was they they hypothesized that the uh, the Klingon cloaking device emi- uh, creates a gravitational field that alter that that bends light around the ship right but there are minuscule imperfections in that gravitational field that if they can analyze them properly can be used to map the location of the ship using them
4: okay oh okay i have questions about book. <laughs> <laughs> do you <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm and i'm going to chalk this up to just my my uh, my Star Trek tech ignorance. Um, I, I want it to make sense, but I don't need it to make sense. Even if it's just one of those things I have to write off, then that's fine. But they were picking up long range scans of cloaked Klingon ships, like for the yeah, past that, few episodes. How does that, how does that how does me that... off?
3: Because we're Seems like, we can't to see this, but we get a reading from right. oh, however many light years away. Right. They the,
4: actually said they actually said long range scans of a cloaked Klingon ship. i ship. Like that well, doesn't
3: Long how, range scans have picked up the power signature of a cloaked cloaked vessel entering orbit around Pavo.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
4: All right, so they don't see the ship, but they see like what like the like the uh, like the trail that it's leaving, is that what you, is that what i mean? I, that,
3: that was a question I had too. I was oh. like how can they the only thing I can i can you know come up with some sort of head cannon for this is they can tell there's a ship there but there's no way they can they can zero in on it
2: right uh,
5: that doesn't make any sense either because then yeah. why not just do a wide sweep with yeah. every weapon you have i mean it's, yeah, you, you right. know what it is it's a mistake in the writing that they didn't catch that's what it is and if you try to make it fit into your head cannon, your head will explode so i'm just telling you <laughs> please rick for everybody you know,
2: let it go they, let it go <laughs> or they caught it or they caught it and they just didn't think that you would catch it again right.
4: well i mean it's, it's pretty glaring i again i am not that you know i'm not gonna you know nitpick because you know the the corridor was a meter wider than it should have been that's not i don't care but i do if you're telling me that the big <laughs> problem is i can't detect these ships that's like the whole point of the first season. And meanwhile, we're picking up ships (laughs) that we can't. I'm like, uh, you know, they put they put a lot of effort into figuring out how they need because I thought the whole, you know, we got to place it on on this part of the ship and this part of the ship, and we got to do the micro jumps. Like I thought that was fantastic. That was great. That was great. But if you're already picking up where it is. It just seemed like if you put that much effort into Part B, you could have put a little more into Part A. That's
2: all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, let me ask this question, because I, I, there, was, there was something about this plan that I didn't understand. So Michael and Saru tell Lorca that they would have to put devices on the Klingon ship to be able to send them information back so that they could analyze. Uh, but it would take days. But Lorca yes. decides that... If we used a spore drive, we wouldn't have to take. We it wouldn't take days. I don't understand why the spore drive is going to take time off of uh, how long it's going to take to get this information. No,
5: this this because is, this is okay. You you want to take a chunk? Yeah,
4: my my understanding. <laughs> my understanding was, um, it would take days because they would basically it would be sending these two beacons of information, and they would be moder- They would be. They would only receive data from where they were. But effectively, you know, it's the difference between standing still and looking at a tree and walking around the tree. You get a okay. lot more information by exploring it in more than one dimension. No pun no, no intended.
5: And they don't have to walk around the tree. They can appear at any point around the tree circumference at random wherever they want to. So you don't even have to take the walk around. You can just be exactly. here and then be here and then be here and then be here. And these are the pinpoints that we need to map this thing out. So they're effectively cutting days off of what it would take them to gather this data.
3: Okay. So basically, the way I took it.
5: And
2: yeah. also
3: the tree is trying to kill you at the same time.
5: Yeah, <laughs> Aren't all trees trying to kill us at the same well, time?
2: Yeah. So basically they're doing what like a, a <laughs> and they're doing like a, like a road crew survey, but they're just doing it instantly from all points. Okay, I understand yeah. now. Okay, yeah, so
3: because if if they did it without using the spore drive, it would have to be, you know, engage the ship, have have you know have a, a fight, warp out, they cloak, get the reading, engage the ship, have a fight, they you know warp out. It, it it just it would have taken a long time to get all, and and there was no guarantee that Cole would stick around for it.
1: Right. Okay. I
4: I, I want to interject here. Um, you said that like you loving Michael more and more. Lorca is and I, shit. I'm Lorca is like the best <laughs> character ever. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he is a genius. He he like and he's not. You know. Again, this 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 show invites you in to all sorts of. Okay, this is gonna be that character. Okay, this is gonna be that character, this is gonna be that character. And you expect Lorca to be, um, oh okay, he's 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 the he's the captain who's you know, he's a little over the edge, he's gone too far, you know, it's everything for the mission. And he is that, but he's not that. He he cares about every member of his crew just as much as any other captain we've seen. He is every bit as smart, he's every bit as cunning, probably more of those than some of the captains that we've seen. I'm. I love Lorca. I, I, I. don't. I love that. I don't know if I should love him. I think he's. Yeah. I think he's. I think he's a fantastic, fantastic character. Arguably the best written character on the show of, of a show of great characters.
3: I loved his St. Crispian's Day speech.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: I want you to start the show with that one, Sean. That was
2: awesome. (laughs) Uh, So Lorca, okay, Lorca appeals to the Explorer side of Stamets and get to get him to go along with his plan because he's going to require him to make 133 jumps in just a few minutes. I think they said like four minutes. Uh, Lorca has been compiling data on all the jumps that they've done so far, and, uh, and it shows that there are pockets of alternate universes, and Stamets says that in time... You know they could find a pattern to the universes, and they might be able to find the coordinates to to access them and stuff like that. So, so you know, I don't know if if you guys had it, but the uh, the paperclip popped up on my screen
1: <laughs>
2: and, and said, it "Looks like you're trying to foreshadow." <laughs> so, but uh, if you if you guys didn't watch After Trek, so there was a piece of information that they gave us. Um, they were originally going to make the number of jumps that Stamets made. Five hundred
3: twenty-five thousand six hundred,
2: yeah, which was a nod to the musical Rent that Anthony Rapp starred in. Uh, so they they did
3: Wilson Cruz, yeah,
2: yeah, and they changed it because that number's kind of excessive. Yeah, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, that was not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they changed it to one hundred and thirty-three as an homage to the uh, two thousand four Battlestar Galactica pilot titled Thirty Three, which was written by Trek veteran writer Ronald D. Moore. So way, um,
3: I hate that fucking song so much
2: (laughs) it does get stuck in your head
5: whenever you (laughs) hear it i've never seen rent and now um you've given me even more reason not to you don't want to okay
3: uh, okay. i uh, chris you don't know this i'm a theater professional i'm a theater technician i teach technical theater in a college uh rent has been haunting me for decades (laughs) you poor poor bastard (laughs) i actually saw the show on broadway I, and if I hadn't been chaperoning a bunch of community college students, I'd have walked out at intermission. It's, in my opinion, a terrible, terrible,
5: overrated piece of junk. <laughs> uh, you know what? You feel about Rent the way I feel about La Boheme, which always pops up on Star Trek for some reason. So.
3: Well, that, I, I was going to say – Isn't Odd did the at, same thing? Is it at, rent? At, well, at La, La Boheme.
2: Yeah. Well, no, rent was kind of based on La, La Boheme. So.
3: Yeah, which is why – Stamets says to uh, Colbert that they are going to go see La Boheme when he's when he's done with this one jump.
2: Right. Uh,
5: let's see, I because uh, yeah. I know that the doctor was singing pieces from La Boheme on Voyager. And I just thought that, <laughs> you know, it's almost like Shakespeare in Star Trek. If you don't know what to talk about, talk about Shakespeare. If you don't yeah. know what to talk about musically, talk about La Boheme.
4: Yeah.
5: yeah. yeah.
4: I almost, as part of my review, as, as Stamets kept going on about how glorious everything was going to be after this one last jump, I was like <laughs> I, was, I almost put in, uh, damn it, Stamets, but uh, I did a little musical thing in the last review, so I didn't want to make that a thing.
2: <laughs> so Lorca doesn't want Michael to go with Ash to the Klingon ship, uh, and Michael shows him that he's not being logical and he caves, so and 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 my wife kind of had uh, the idea that we're kind of watching Michael grow up as a human because she 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 was raised as a Vulcan, and now she's around all these humans, and we saw her kind of getting to know about boys, <laughs> <laughs> and and now she's being a rebellious teenager. Which I have to give her credit because in the she has grown in these nine episodes because in the pilot the same thing happened and she committed mutiny. Right. This this time she disagreed with the Captain, and she just talked him into doing doing see, doing her idea. So you know what I would
3: love to see before the end of this series that would just blow everyone's mind is is Lorca or Cornwell or someone in someone superior to to Burnham give her an order, and she just say, "I
2: sir," and do it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not going to happen for a while. <laughs> so, uh, she almost, he... she almost went this
4: whole episode without disobeying orders until she did.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <No>. <laughs> she lasted a good well, 15, 20 minutes.
5: But there was some subtext to that scene where why uh, Lorca t- said no, no, you are not going and then she tried to outlaw, she pulled the logic foo on him, but it goes back to things that you guys have mentioned in previous shows where he seems to have some kind of special agenda for her in mind and he does not yeah. want to lose yeah. her or jeopardize her in any way.
4: Because like, Yeah, everybody on the bridge turned and was like oh, that's really? Really? She can't go? Really? Yeah, because yeah, Lorca
5: would put a dude
1: in
3: a torpedo tube if he thought it would win the war. Yeah. And... <laughs>
2: Yeah, because when like, I when yeah. I saw this, scene, I saw this scene last week on After Trek, and I was like, "Does she have some kind of superpower that she doesn't know about, and he does? Is she the chosen one?" <laughs> <Did> he, <laughs> he, like... Maybe he lost a poker game with Sarek, and this is
1: the yeah. Game.
4: <laughs> well, I think somebody, I think I saw on on uh, one of the fan sites that their, their theory was like, "It's, it's going to turn out that Lorca and Giorgio go way back, and like that was her." Uh, Like, basically, take care of her. Oh, see?
5: Oh, I was hoping that they would avoid that at all costs. You know, I don't know about
4: the
3: case. Again, fan theory. I don't don't see that at all because that's not not the kind of motivation that would
5: have Lorca that devoted. Right. And that's also hack horse shit. I mean, I made a promise to Sarek stop it. You know, <laughs> what kind of promise yeah, would promise you make to this, Eric? Oh, and it's going to even hold out in war, even though we could win this war. If you beam over, no, I promise, Eric.
2: Sorry, you can't go. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> if if he would if he would do what he did to Cornwell a couple episodes back, and she was a person that was important to him, you know, sending her over to the Klingon uh uh meeting. Knowing good and well that something b- bad was going to happen,
4: <laughs> Well, you didn't know it. Know it,
2: I, you know everybody.
5: He, everybody reads it that
2: way. That he just pr- uh, t- intentionally tried to get rid of her,
5: and I, I didn't see it that way at all.
2: I just sensed it when he was when he was saying uh, when he was saying to send that she could be the one to go over. I, I just sensed it in the, the way that he was playing the, the scene that he knew. You know, I've got to get her off the ship, or she's going to take my ship away from me.
4: I think know? that's. Here's what I think. I think Lorca has like a mutant ability. I think he, <laughs> I think he is very good at calculating the odds, especially when it comes to combat and war. I don't think I don't think he he you know I don't think he is a I don't know nefarious master strategist necessarily <laughs>
5: twirling his mustache.
1: Yeah, I, I think
4: <laughs> flicking his long white hair.
1: Right. Um, <laughs>
4: I think that he is a very good tactician and like, 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 uh, like Cole. He doesn't necessarily know, but he's a good tactician and he plays the odds and he tries to be one step ahead. And I think that no matter what would have happened with Cornwell, um, he was well positioned to take advantage of the situation so I mean worst case scenario she negotiates she negotiates peace, and you know he doesn't necessarily need to be the commander of the of the discover anymore. I mean, I hate that that's the worst case scenario for him. <laughs> but you know I guess technically worst case scenario is she died, which also solves a different problem
1: for him yeah, well, right. that, that
3: was the thing. G- giving him the benefit of the doubt uh it was a stalling tactic but but like I said on our show about that episode, I was really half expecting her shuttle to explode as soon as it was clear of the ship. So.
4: Yeah. 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 I was kind of thinking that too, but, uh, but again, and like on this episode, you know, they've gotten the data at this point and it was, you know, the captain's like, no, we're not leaving until uh, Tyler and, and Burnham come back. He didn't have to do that. Like he, He's that's what I mean when I say he's 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 such a wonderfully complex character like he does. He has all the captain stuff that you expect a captain to have, but he's got a whole lot of <laughs> he's got a whole lot of Some... captain stuff that the other captains don't really normally dip into.
2: Well, Tilly spills the beans to the doctor about the sport drive side effects. And and I had to laugh because that was a very Tilly thing to do.
3: <laughs> I love
2: Tilly so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael and Ash put on uh, pattern simulators that mask their human life signs as Klingon, uh, <laughs> which which
5: Michael just happens to give a nice heaping helping of exposition about. Right, you know, right. you think you think they would sort of both know that? <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was I was just
3: kind of like, all right, did you get that in the back row, y'all listening?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's another. Th- I mean, that, that that's one thing. Every time that they have I a scene, mean, just... <laughs> every time there's a scene with Michael and Ash. I grit my teeth because Michael is explaining things to Ash that he should know. He's the security chief of a starship. You know, he, he should know about protocols and he should know what these devices do and stuff like that. But she has to explain them to him all the time. But uh, well, anyway, well, wait, a minute. Go wait, ahead. Wait, wait, go ahead. wait, he's not the security chief of a
3: starship. He's been given that job. Yeah. We don't, we don't, he could have been the freaking cook on whatever <laughs> ship he got taken from. We don't know what That's his gig true. was before he, he was on the, the, the Klingon ship. So, sure. the fact that, that uh, Lorca put him in charge of security because he can
2: shoot Klingons, <laughs>
3: you know, that, that may or may not have been a good idea. Right. Um, so.
2: Well, they find Cornwell and they find Lorel in that holding cell where the dead Klingons were last week. And there's still smoke pouring off of those bodies that were laying there on the floor, which tells me that this is actually just maybe maybe a couple of hours after we uh, left Cornwell last week. Um she turned over because the last time we saw her, she was laying on her back, and now she's laying on her stomach. So, <laughs> um, so when Ash sees Laurel, okay, this is where we get into some discussion. Um, when Ash sees Laurel, we get some mental flashes that seem to suggest to me that maybe Ash is Vok, like people have been speculating. But
3: no, I think it's
2: more. I think it's more likely. <laughs> I think it's more likely that the Klingons or Laurel herself, they've done some kind of an experiment to Ash and put Vox consciousness in there. No, I think that no, I, I don't think, think so. You don't I think, think so? that Ash is Vox.
5: I don't think that he knows it or remembers it. It's more of a mentoring candidate kind of thing. He thinks he's Ash and he's having flashbacks, but I will bet you dollars to uh, Navy credits to Navy beans. Let's go to uh, solve. <laughs> I'll bet you credits to Navy beans that, he will have flashbacks again as the series progresses on the second half. And all of a sudden he'll see himself as Vok right now. He thinks of himself only as Tyler because he's got some kind of, uh, mental, uh, block up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that his, his cover is complete. He doesn't even know that he was Vok, but it will eventually break through and he will come to realize it. That's the way I'm looking at it.
3: My problem with that. Uh, unless he has been transformed completely into a human, is that he was sitting in sick bay on a on a
2: on a bio bed, on yeah, a
3: bio bed last week, and nobody was going. His heart rate is all wrong. His body turned. Jim, this man's
5: going oh, on. Yeah, you know, you're right about that. You're right about <laughs> that. But maybe maybe he went through some some genetic engineering. I mean, yeah. Um, they've always played fast and loose in Trek with with genetics and true. True. The fact that you know every species is just got a different variety of bumpy forehead. Well, we saw in the divergence episodes of Enterprise, um, Scott Scott Bakula, uh, Archer. When he was going through whatever torture they were putting him through with, with the virus at the end of that arc, he started to develop ridges on his forehead. They were trying to poke through, and then they went back, and then they were trying to poke through, and then they went back, and it's just like, yeah, because that would happen. I mean, it, it doesn't work yeah. that way at all. So
4: <laughs> that is exactly. How <laughs>
3: I prevalent. just say that twelve hours later.
5: <laughs> yeah, Trek Trek has a history of doing genetic magic because that's all.
3: I you know I don't doubt that that Ash has been compromised. And I don't doubt... And, and you know, it, it, I have this kind of battle inside my own head. Because I predicted back when Laurel said to Vok, you're going to have to sacrifice everything, that that would be how we get the human-looking Klingons that we'll get in ten years. But I just don't think it's Ash. I think Ash has been programmed somehow. Um, you know, I think she's gonna, she's got a, a, a trigger word in him that will make him her man... If she need, you know, when she needs it, but I I just can't buy that he's Vok. And unless they do it really well, in which case I will I will give him a standing ovation for totally faking me out on that. I just I think Vok is somewhere else or something else right now.
2: Yeah, I just I I think that the, to me the only way that they could do it is if they said that there was some kind of a mind transfer that Ash was a person and now Ash is effectively See, dead but what he's, kind of mind transfer. what he's
5: remembering what he's remembering as torture is the cosmetic surgery that got
4: him to look
2: like right, yeah, that's yeah. what I think to me
4: I you know like Rick said if if it's if it's done well enough I mean I guess I'll buy it I kind of don't want it to be the case because A you know at this point I'm, I'm aware of it and it's not as you know you know you don't want to know the punchline of a joke and B, it's not as interesting or as compelling to me as no, he's got torture and he's got PTSD and and yeah, there's there's clearly some kind of uh, you know Manchurian candidate, you know something he she did something that that you know puts him in her pocket. But
3: hey, wait a minute! Wasn't the the trigger for the Manchurian candidate guys the the woods comment, uh, woods poem by Frost? I honestly don't remember. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises oh. to keep and miles to go before I sleep. And this wow. is into the woods uh, and into the forest. Well, never
2: yeah, no, nah, I didn't <laughs> see It the, Wasn't the Manchurian Candidate? That was Frank Sinatra, right? I didn't watch the uh, Frank Sinatra version. I have seen the Denzel Washington version. Of
4: yeah, the Manchurian candidates,
2: so, but I don't. It was
4: Donald Pleasance making remember. that phone. Call yeah. To other people.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I, I, I would much rather because. You know, he comes face to face with her, and I was like, "Okay, here it is, blah blah blah," and uh, no, he's having a flashback because he's got PTSD. I was like, "Wow, they they went there, they went yeah, there." but it, it
5: it doesn't make a difference if he has it because he was tortured or because he's remembering this horrific experience of his transformation. The PTSD is still the PTSD. He's still traumatized. Yeah. yeah. So I think it no, works in either scenario.
4: Yes, well, I... but it is it's it is more. It's one thing if he's, you know, if if you snap your fingers and oh, she's taking him over. It's another thing, like you said, to to actually see the effects of the trauma. Either way, I agree with you.
2: But I didn't. Well, if he is, go ahead. I'm
4: sorry. No, no, I was just saying I I didn't expect that because they don't normally show, you know, the end of the episode. You know, they, they might look wistfully off out, you know, out of the window, or they might leave on some ominous line. But you know, by the next episode is you know whatever has been done to that character in Star Trek, you know, they're basically fine, you know, the next by the time the next episode comes around. Um, and but
3: this ain't that kind of
4: Star Trek anymore. yeah, it's not that kind of star trek. i, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that,
2: yeah, because I mean, those memories make a big difference whether or not he he is Ash or he is vok because. Later on in the episode, he has a memory of him having sex with Laurel. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I
5: I thought I was wondering when we were going to bring that up.
4: (laughs) And and for the record, I do like your I do like your theory, by the way, that he that eventually he's going to remember himself as Vok in the in that same role. I I I think that works as well as you know anything else. so, so just I, I don't I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, no, that's dumb. I do actually do like that.
5: No, it's OK. And it's even if you think it's dumb, you can say it's dumb. I don't mind. Oh, I will. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that particular flash, I mean, says a lot, because if he is not, if he, he is Vok, then he's remembering making love to Laurel. But if he is Ash, but he's not Vok, then he's remembering being raped by Laurel. So yeah. there's a big difference.
5: <laughs> and that, that was a, so. another wrinkle. I mean, something that we've never seen on Star Trek depicted so so vividly. I mean, we had the quote mind rape of Deanna a couple of times on Next Gen because they didn't know what yeah. else to do with her. But um, <laughs> to, to, to show not only the first Star Trek nudity, now Klingon boobs are canon. Um, <laughs> we also have this this what is potentially a violent assault depicted you know, front and center, right yeah. on screen, which is which right. is pretty pretty time. freaking heavy.
3: Not yeah. the first time.
5: When when have you? Uh, where was e- there Evil ever Kirk, a rape, rape scene?
3: Evil Kirk tried to rape Janice Rand. I tried in, tried tried. American.
5: Yeah, but I mean, this is yeah. You, you, got, you got the full act here. You got the full. If this is well, a yeah. violation, you got the full violation going on. I'm not. That's I'm not, not true. And I'm not disputing you, Rick. You're absolutely right about that.
3: By by 60 standards, it was as graphic as what we saw.
2: Right. Uh, yeah true
3: not that the guys cared <laughs> and and even Grace Lee whitney was like oh yeah she, uh, bill slapped me a little bit it was it was
2: great I was
1: like what the fuck is wrong with
2: <laughs> <sighs> all right so uh so michael so michael and ash are, are on the klingon ship and they're they're hiding giant transmitters with blinking lights and that that talk in- in in plain in plain sight in the middle of the floor, but they're but they're hiding them.
5: <laughs> uh, the the right, noisiest now, that, transmitters you've ever heard. Talk about a stealth operation yeah. waiting to upload to Discovery.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I gotta give After Trek the the guy, what's the guy's name? Mira Matt, 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 uh, Matt Myra. Matt Myra, whatever. All right, I don't like the dude. I, I mean, well, all right, no, I let me rephrase that. He's probably fun to hang out with. He's probably a great guy. I don't like him as the host for After Trek. He's annoying as fuck to me.
4: Yeah. But
3: last night, he was like the first thing out of his mouth. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you some headcanon on this, and then we're going to go on. The Discovery's not a warship. They had to improvise the sensors. They were never meant to be stealth technology. Get over it. Let's go. And I was like, you know what? That's a damn good thought.
2: Yeah. I I mean, it it makes sense. It makes sense. But at the same time, if you're going to use them as stealth technology, you need to do something to them to... At least, yeah, at at least take know, the, the speaker up, out of them. <laughs> put, a yeah. put a towel over it. And it's fun. not like there was just one. That It's not like there was just one that they could hide off in a back corridor somewhere. They had to put like three or four of these things out, and one of them was on the bridge. <laughs> it was just two. It was only two. And I also think that
5: just some of the clunkiness was a nod to the fact that, oh yeah, we're, we are 10 years before... TOS, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. they looked a little bit like Nomad. I kind of liked it.
2: Yeah. So uh, the Discovery engages the Ship of the Dead, and they start doing all those jumps that they had talked about before. And like I said, it, it's some of the best effects that I've ever seen in Star Trek. We actually got to see them go into Spore Drive from Warp, and then when Which they when they, sweet. yeah when they came out they were standing still that that would be pretty jarring if you were on <laughs> if you're on a ship and you're going at warp and all of a sudden you just stop <laughs>
5: not really. Uh, two words, really two words two words uh, inertial dampers
2: yeah I, I, I
5: think band, I got that backwards inertial dampeners thank iner- you
2: <laughs> yeah
3: but also the way the way the warp drive works and okay folks uh, Rick's putting on his horn rim glasses and pushing them up on his forehead on his nose now <laughs> I mean actually the way the warp field works. Uh, is the warp engines generate a field around the ship, and that is what moves at super light speeds. The ship inside doesn't actually move.
2: Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh,
3: so dropping out a warp like that... Because uh, <clears throat> I was like, oh, come on, really? And then I started thinking about the way that the fictional science of warp, warp field theory has been created for the world of Star Trek. And yes, I know I'm
5: really... Going out into the no, no, deep nerd
3: waters here. Um,
5: well, I mean, I don't know how much how much water that holds because if I'm in an elevator that's plummeting from the top floor, technically I'm not the one moving.
3: But the elevator doesn't <laughs> have inertial damper. <laughs>
4: yeah. so. And we don't know. You know, we don't know what it what a black alert really feels like. You know, we don't know. We don't know. So it's like you're imagining you're in a car and you're doing 60 and then you hit the brakes. But it, I have no reason to believe that going from warp into a spore jump is like that at all.
2: I think the only time that we've ever actually seen warp um, done in a way that we can actually see how it works is in one of the Kelvin movies. I want to say it was uh, Star Trek Beyond. Uh, There was a scene where they're showing the Enterprise from a, a distance and you can see the warp field around the ship. And I think that's the only time that I've ever actually seen that.
4: Yeah, it's like a little. It creates a little bubble. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, read,
4: read the read the the
3: next generation tech manual. It's all in there.
5: And also, <laughs> I mean, a ship at warp you I wouldn't would, be able to see because it slipped into a pocket dimension, moving several times the speed of light. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
4: Well, for for me, I'd I always imagine that this that a spore jump is is a lot like. I mean, I know it's it's quote unquote different technology, but effectively, it's it's like you know, it's like a transporter. You know, you're there. There's a flash, and then you're, and then you're somewhere else. So there's not, you know, you don't feel like you land when you when you beam down. You're just there, and, I, and that's what I expected. They felt, um, you know, the, what it feels like when you jump, when you sport jump.
5: And you got to figure uh, again. Inertial dampeners um, have to come in because I think I said inertial again. Inertial, inertial. <laughs> that that thing. Um, Get your made up words right thank you <laughs> inertial dampeners <laughs> I, I, what i mean when the ship goes into black alert when it when it travels on the spurger it it spins around on on its axis it's like yeah it, if you're inside do they have like dramamine patches or
3: <laughs> <what>? <laughs> well well that's why the, the Glenn crew was
5: all twisted because their the ship
4: the,
2: they it spun didn't out work right. yeah
4: and then they all got
5: I never What's picked. Yeah, okay, no, I never put those two things together. I
4: didn't either, but that makes that makes
2: good sense. So,
3: I get it right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael uh, tries to talk to Cole using her universal translator, and uh, she questions his honor as he picks his teeth with shows badge, and uh, she identifies herself as the one that killed Takuvma, and she challenges him to a battle as the theme music s- swells. They should have played <laughs> the music from the the, the Spock Kirk fight music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all know it.
5: Think, <laughs> Sean dropping think, a piece right here.
4: <laughs> but uh, I part of me would have loved that, but part of me would have hated that. But I think yeah. a little bit more of me would have loved it, I think if they
2: maybe, if they, I mean, if they just blended it into the music not if they yeah, maybe, that just a of, maybe just a little piece maybe just right. a little piece of it kind it's of a little sting kind of or something yeah
5: Can i tell you though that that's what i meant though about um, the action in this being so organic to what they needed the plot to do and also to help move the story along because Burnham was stalling for time she didn't want core to go to war That's why she revealed herself. So that's perfectly keeping with the character trying to complete her mission. And then they introduced the universal translator because no matter how well paced you have something, the second any of these characters is forced to speak Klingon, everything comes to a screeching halt. So they had it so that the Klingons were able to, quote, speak English, as we heard through Burnham's translator, uh, I guess technically, so that it wouldn't interrupt the flow or the tension of the scene. So it really worked on so many different levels, all of it well. It all came together very nicely.
3: And, and it also sets it up in a way that they don't have to do it all the time now. If there's not somebody there with a communicator, they can still be speaking Klingon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this moment right here was, for me, the, the, the pinnacle of the episode. Uh, I... I am so in love with Michael Burnham right now. for <laughs> way. The way she fought Cole, because every time, with the exception of the original series, every time we've seen humans fighting a post-motion picture Klingon, I've I've had a lot of trouble buying it. You know, Picard beats up a Klingon, and it's just like it never. Yeah, and then they <laughs> beats up a Klingon. It never worked for me. <laughs> this time it did, and the reason it worked for me is because. Burnham was no match for Cole, you know, are, you know, muscle for muscle, straight up. But she was, she was faster than him, and that's what they were doing. She was darting in and around, and and you know, it was very clear that the Klingon way of fighting was like two giant ships broadsiding each other,
1: mm-hmm.
3: just stand face to face and just beat on each other till one of you doesn't can't move anymore. Whereas. Burnham was using the Vulcan, you know, Machpar, whatever the hell it's called, and, you know, zipping in and out, kick him, get in. And, you know, she took as well as she gave, and it was a great fight. And it made perfect sense that she was holding her own because she wasn't trying to fight the Klingon as a Klingon. She was fighting the Klingon as a little bitty human fighting this giant muscle-bound spiky
4: guy. And it worked great. And and like you said, she wasn't necessarily trying to win she was trying to, you know, prolong the fight.
2: Yeah, that and she can,
5: she can she can really go. take a punch. I mean, she took her lumps, boy. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was one thing that my wife commented when when she got back to the ship later that when she got there she looked like she had just had the, 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 the yeah, like she had just <laughs> had the hell beat out of her, and uh, and and instead of trying to make her look kind of beat up but still pretty <laughs> you know the way they the way they do on tv a lot when after a woman gets into a fight where she just might have a little bit of blood on her temple or something she looked like she had been beat up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know so all right so yeah, yeah. ash and go ahead no 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 go ahead well That's ash good. and cornwell are attacked ash is still in shock from all the memories that are resurfacing and uh, cornwell cornwell appears to be paralyzed from the waist down uh I guess from when Laurel beat the mess out of her <laughs> in the last episode and electrocuted her. Uh, but Ash snap, snaps out of it, and he kills at least one Klingon. And uh, he and Michael and Cornwell and Laurel are all being back to Discovery, and the Ship of the Dead is destroyed.
5: Thank God.
3: <laughs> did, did did anyone expect Cole to die this soon in the series? No, I didn't.
2: I'm so That's happy. one of the things I was talking about when when they said when I said that they closed the chapter on this part of the story. The war is not over, but Cole, being kind of the leader of the of the Klingon part of part of the war, you know their side, him dying, uh, really sets a precedent towards possibly ending the war sooner. I don't know.
4: It, yeah, it honestly, it didn't even occur to me that, that that coal dying and or the ship being destroyed were even on the table at, oh, yeah. at this point.
5: No, I so. kind of like that because it also gives them breathing room to tell more Trekkie science stories because there's now going to be a power vacuum. That every Klingon is going to be rushing to fill, and there are going to be still some ugly skirmishes on the front lines, but they're not going to be as unified. Yeah. So it, it gives it gives Discovery some breathing room to tell other kinds of stories.
2: So Ash tells Michael that Laurel was his torturer, and that he did what he had to do in order to survive. So, uh, so that goes into the theory that I was talking about earlier that you know it may it may be Ash with Vox. Memories implanted in his brain. He may not be physically vok. I don't know. We'll just. I mean, we'll just put that on the table. We'll find out <laughs> when cha- when chapter two comes. But um but Lorca talks Stamets into doing one more jump.
4: And well. His-
2: he, I mean, he, he didn't really
4: like talk like him was, into it. In fact, he seemed he was, like
2: he was manipulating him to me because uh, uh,
3: Lorca totally manipulated
2: him. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he didn't. He even said, "He even said, 'I'm not going to ask you to do that,' <laughs> you know." But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, and said, that, yeah, that's I'll do the thing. Lorca
3: didn't. They didn't need to jump. Not at all. This was all Lorca trying to avoid facing the music because Cornwell's back. He, they were. Three hours away by warp. That is not in any way a hardship. But he manipulated Stamets into doing it so that he could do his little juju on the – on the his, his pad up on the bridge and hopefully send them somewhere else.
2: Uh, I, I've it, clearly – this, yeah, this, this, oh, so. this is a theory that huh. I had. Okay. This oh, is a theory God. that I have. So – Earlier in the episode, Lorca was telling Stamets that he's been mapping out all of these pockets of alternate universes that have popped up with all of the other jumps that they've been doing. This whole plan of doing 133 jumps at different intervals was all Lorca's idea. No. I can no. <laughs> kind of that. I kinda think that he knew that he was kind of weakening subspace by doing that and that maybe one more jump was going to do it and if something was going to happen they were going to go somewhere he may not know where they were going but something was going to happen so he, i don't I don't, think, I don't think that they've done like a star trek voyager thing i don't think they're in the delta quadrant i think they're in an alternate universe now
4: i don't think he's that reckless i think he i think he's reckless but i think he's reckless for a reason like i think just to to go off into oblivion because you know he doesn't want to get yelled at, I just don't. I don't see that. But, no, he doesn't like,
2: want to he, lose his ship. He he doesn't want to lose the but discovery. But he wouldn't take everyone on his ship with him. I don't.
4: I don't. I don't. I don't think that's it. And I also, he wrong. just he it.
5: just won the most divisive battle in the Klingon Federation War. I don't think they're yeah. going to take him off that bridge. They're going to. They want at get least the at, gonna at gonna least until the war is and at least until the war is over. Yeah. So I mean, I, Sean, I see what you're saying, but it it, it presupposes that Lorca is just evil. Then and it becomes very hard to root for somebody like that because the last thing we need is another freaking anti-hero i'm, I'm sick <laughs> to death of tony soprano love watching walter white but i mean context for everything we don't need the captain of a starship to be that scheming and maniacal
1: right.
5: where at any cost he's going to sabotage his own command just so that he doesn't have to face any kind of music i i I just, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. Um, yeah, you could you know be what? right. I just think that would be an awful, awful, awful choice.
4: I don't, I was, wouldn't necessarily put it past him if he thought he had a good reason, but I don't want to get in trouble is not a good reason. That's
5: and too- But also, I mean, when you do that, it, it it does what they did to mud. You make him into a sociopath. The only reason he needs is because that's what he wants.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Now, if you look at it, there have been screenshots. I, I didn't do one because several people did. He overrode, he, he, he brought up the list of all the 133 jumps on his, his console, on his, on his chair. And then there was one thing that said something, something override. And that's the one he chose. And I, I don't know where he was trying to go. I don't think he was trying to go to one of those, one of the alternate universes. I think he was just trying to go, we're going to go to the next battle because I don't want to go face the music. And then Stamets blew up.
5: And yeah. not only that but I, I can't be the only one that noticed that the ship actually split in
2: two. I noticed that. Yeah. There was yeah. two ships Wait, for uh, a second.
5: Yeah, yeah so there was. is oh, there's a second that. yeah, there's a ghost ship out there. This is almost like getting back to the enemy within. Uh I've Right,
4: clearly got
2: to watch that part again.
5: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's that. there's probably a little unicorn dog roaming the halls right now <laughs> fighting everybody.
2: <laughs> and, and Stammes uh so Culvert says that he's crashing. He screams and and Culver says he's crashing and he's detecting white m- white matter hyperintensity. Stamets' eyes turn white. Uh, he says that he can see so many. He can see all the permutations or something like that. He uh, permutations. Yeah. My God, it's full of stars. <laughs> did, did anybody when when his eyes did that? Was anybody thinking Gary Mitchell? No, because uh, they were
3: people saying that they I'm weren't like, They're glowing. Not fucking silver.
2: Thank you. They're not glowing. Yeah. No, he
5: looked like he just had really really bad cataracts. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, very, maybe very different. Fourth dimensional cataracts. I don't know.
3: Yeah, we're we're skipping <laughs> a very important thing though. Okay. We skipped over something.
4: Is it Lorco squeezing the thing in his eyes so he could watch the explosion? Because that was awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was no, that was a CSI was Miami be- putting on the shades moment right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was
3: be- before before Stamets went into the chamber for the one last jump.
5: We had the very first.
3: Male, oh. male kiss on Star Trek. Oh
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I thought about it in, in the moment when I was watching it, but the funny thing is, it's just such not a big deal. You know, it's just like, of course they're going to kiss. They're they you know,
3: but they hadn't yet, and that was the thing back when you know that the the first time that we saw them quote unquote together, they didn't, and you know, a, a, a quick peck would have been fine, but it did. It it also made sense that they didn't, right? Yeah. Um, but at this this moment you know for you know granted i'm i may i may be making assumptions about the sexuality of everybody on this show right now but i think for us it wasn't that big a deal but for the gay community who have been waiting for this for 50 years mm-hmm. that was a hell of a moment because it wasn't just you know it, you you couldn't hand wave it off like like the the thing in in uh, in DS9 with Jadzia and her and her you know former wife husband, whatever, but they're in women's bodies now, you know, you could, you could go, Oh, well they were straight when they were married and now they're not. Um, or the, the thing with, uh, the, uh, the outcast on TNG with the, the, the genderless race, right. um, you know, that's another one where it's like, well, almost, but not quite, and they went ahead and cast a woman as the, as the, the person that Riker falls in love with, even though, to, to Frakes' credit, he wanted them to cast a man for it, and they just wouldn't, they didn't have the stones to do it. Right. This was finally no hand-waving, no special circumstances, right. just two men in love, getting, you know, saying goodbye before a very dangerous situation, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and it was normal, and it was great.
4: I uh, again, you know, cis male over here, but I, <laughs> I, I like that they didn't do it, you know, and yeah, a, a peck would have been fine, but I mean, honestly, they are two professionals, and I'm sure that they're more personal, you know, like in their quarters, but I can totally see, especially given like the kind of guy status is, I could put, I could totally see not a whole lot of PDA. He's just, just not that yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. Um so I, I think I, I appreciated it more because like you said, it did ha- it, it was a natural moment for that as opposed to see they're gay, look, they're kissing like just like if they were like making out every other scene or something. Like I, I Right. I, I, <laughs> see? Gay yeah, the only
5: the only other place I think that it would have fit naturally and actually very organically to the story was in the first couple of loops in the mud episode when he was just hippy dippy stammits and I could see him yeah, just like yeah, being yeah. like all all lovey dovey, touchy feely because he's just you know grooving with the universe. But uh, no, you're right. I think the way they played it, they, it was it was just appropriate to the scene and the characters where they were at that time in their relationship. It was it was absolutely. I, that's why I think it was. It, it, it phased me so little because it was just so natural.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 And that's the kind of thing, you know, we, uh, back, back on, on, on my main show, not my main show, but
5: my, my first
3: big show, starbase 66, one of our earliest shows we did was about how gays are portrayed in science fiction. And we talked about all of this stuff about the outcast and, and, and the, the DS nine stuff. And we ultimately decided that what we really want is just a normalization of it. Not, you know, Oh, you know, over-the-top flamboyant characters like you get sometimes you know, um, or not like the whole reason this character is on the ship is to be the gay one but to just have characters who just happen to be gay and they're members of the crew and that's exactly what we're getting here
5: and I love it. <laughs> I love the way you say that though. Like DS9, you have the Ferengi, you have the Changeling, you have the gay one, and you have the Trill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about the, the, the DS9 episode where... No, no, I know the, what you're uh, saying. It's just oh, like okay. the
5: way you're right, because the way, you know, it's always been approached is almost as if it's another alien race that we exactly. need to explore instead of just being a natural part of everyday life, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, the Discovery finds themselves in the middle of a junkyard where... They think the starbase should have been. <laughs> and uh, Saru says that he can't tell where they are. The ship is lost. Stamets is in danger. Cole is dead. Ash isn't who he says he is, and we break for midseason. So, um, so well, what do you got? What do you guys think? Where where do you, where do you think the discovery? We don't
4: know is? that Ash isn't who he says he is, but he just may be more than he thinks he is.
2: True. That's not a Ash isn't who he thinks he is possibly. <laughs> well,
3: ash, ash is compromised I'll go that right far. yeah we know that that Laurel has something up her sleeve involving ash uh what exactly that is who knows it may just be as simple as a post hypnotic suggestion that she says booga booga and he's like yes my queen what do we do
2: yeah and she said and she says i'll 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 never let them hurt you you so I don't know who so. I don't know who they are. I don't know if, if they are the Federation or if they are the other Klingons because the other Klingons that she's worried that she was worried about are dead now. Yeah, I think it might be you both. know Cole she's and dead, and well well I'm yeah sure I not. mean she was she well she would have been she would have heard them talking I'm sure she was in the transporter room when when the uh, when the ship exploded right because they they had said on, that they had you? just because Michael. Michael no, had well, just come onto the bridge.
5: Yeah, right. So they got up, but but they probably had her on lockdown rushing her to a, yeah,
4: yeah, but I can't, somewhere. I am, I am sure it, uh? that some security guard has taunted
2: her with the death of her people at this point.
5: Why are oh, there no security? Okay, John, think the worst of Starfleet security. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, <just> my question... <laughs> why are there no security guards in the brig when ash goes to the brig that was a real good question yeah, i was wondering too ash goes to the brig to see her there's nobody
5: there she's no, just in it the was, herself. showing it was fuji's in beer pong night come on <laughs> sure. well,
4: you know what? he's the chief of security he's like hey take a break and then they go because he's the chief of
2: security and then he falls to his knees in front of his cleon queen duh
1: oh
4: that's and
2: right it, he's the chief I, of security it, he could have cleared it, the area it, yeah yeah, it would have been. It would have been better to actually show that happen. Because it, just, it would have. Dave and the Brig
3: was in, was was taking a potty break. That's, that's. yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. Do you guys notice though? Why do they keep on writing the show as if it's a commercial show? And every show is about forty five to forty seven minutes. Why don't they do like a like HBO? Because eventually drones? they're going to
4: sell it and
5: put it on. Oh, okay, TV. so they want to be able to just put it into syndication clean. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Well. Yeah reading on my parade. I wanted to see like an hour and a half episode. I wanted to see uh,
4: you know.
3: Or, or maybe it's just a matter of the, the writers are so used to that that that's what, that's
4: what they do. No, uh, they're they're. I'm, <laughs> I could can be wrong, but I'm, in, I feel pretty confident. that
5: No, yeah, no, that's Occam's Razor right there. You're absolutely right. That's 100% yeah, true.
2: In Canada and some other places, it's actually airing on regular television. So...
3: Blame Canada. Okay. No, I got a question for y'all. Go ahead. I got a question for y'all. Last week on After Trek, uh, the the producer that was on, and I don't I don't remember any of their names, uh, producer slash writer. Uh, they've had a lot of the writers on, which is great. That that's you know it's wonderful seeing the actors from the show, but to be perfectly frank, uh, you, you don't get much from them because they can't tell you. you get, yeah, because one they can't tell you anything, and two they aren't involved in the creative process other than, you know, their characters and. You know, it. It. I, I'm not saying that's not interesting, but from my perspective as a, someone who's going to do a podcast about the show, I really don't care what Snequa Martin Green's process was in getting into Burnham's head for this particular scene, because you all out there don't care about that. Or if you do, you'll watch After Track. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I like to you know get into hear what the producers and the writers have to say. Mm-hmm. And last week, uh, the producer that they had on said that the finale was quote-unquote balance of terror good
2: yeah i remember him saying that yeah do you feel it do you
3: or don't you agree
5: uh it's like apples and oranges if you ask me balance of terror was such a slow burn yeah this was an action-packed you know uh, uh, they're equally enjoyable to watch but they're completely different animals i think that that's just an easy way to to generate excitement amongst truckers like oh, Balance of Terror. Oh, I got to tune in for that. I mean, I, 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 well, I don't think he was comparing them
3: narratively. I think he was just saying that you know, Balance of Terror is one of the best episodes of TOS, and this finale is one of the best episodes
5: of Discovery.
4: I mean, so far, yeah. But we only we've only seen nine episodes.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels but, yes, weird to compare the it, two. Yeah. But also, we have fifty years of hindsight with Trek. Where Balance of Terror has been a beloved staple, uh, yeah. it, it, so Discovery doesn't have that kind of footing underneath it yet. So it's it's really hard to judge. Yeah, like John said, it, it's one of the better episodes of the series. Is it an all-timer? I don't know. Yeah, you know, and maybe it will become an all-timer if we live with these characters long enough. If they become as iconic, it will in retrospect. Become an all timer because you now love them so much more than you did the first time you saw it. So the stakes seem higher to you, maybe artificially higher. But I mean, is balance or- terror, especially great episode. No, it's because you love Kirk and you think this is Kirk being Kirk. Like this is the epitome of fucking Kirk. Mm-hmm. But that's the Kirk that we've that we've idolized for the last well, fifty years, and this is just a perfect example of it.
4: And it may also be that. You know the the groundwork, the like the threads are laid in this episode for something that's going to pay off. You know, a year from now or two years from now, and you know it's like that line in in uh, Star Wars: "He's got too much of his father in him." That's what I'm afraid of. Well, okay, yeah. that pays off. <laughs> you know, a movie later, it's like, oh, that's awesome.
1: And before mm-hmm. it's
4: just a throwaway line. Before you really, before you really understood the context, right. so it might be a situation like that where. Yeah. yeah. That's how
3: you find out Lucas didn't have a clue what
2: he was talking
4: about. <laughs> You shut up the message.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, he had the entire trilogy written out in a notebook before he ever started filming. Don't you The know entire that?
5: trilogy. He had the entire nine of them written. Right. Out, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah.
2: You had a trilogy squared. Journal alone. of the Wheels, yeah. man. He had the Journal of the Wheels written. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Somehow I think I've stumbled onto the wrong podcast. How do I find my way back? Help. I need a spore drive.
2: <laughs> Let me read some uh, reactions on Facebook because I posted last night um, for everybody to give us some spoiler-free thoughts because I didn't want to ruin it for anybody that hadn't watched it yet. Um, I said, give me your spoiler-free thoughts on episode nine. Uh, Albie Burge, who was scared. on this uh, podcast a couple episodes back. Can I, can of, I do something, Sean? Go ahead. Can I, can I-
5: Albert Burge superstar (laughs) you're welcome Albie that's
2: just for you anyway he said uh, it was an amazing episode that lived up to the hype it was much better than part one Scott Madison said I wanted more answers. I wanted more revelations. Shut up, Scott. <laughs> Scott, 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 I agree with you about the Harry Mudd episode. Uh, we could have a whole podcast about that
5: stupid Fakta episode all day long, but come on, give this one a break, Scott.
2: He said, I liked it, but I wanted more info before the mid season break left us with more questions. Now I warned him it's not I warned the, the, I warned you guys I'm last like, week. That this was going to be that this finale was going to be like a lost finale. It, it was going to be more questions than answers. They're going to answer some stuff, but they're going to give us more questions than they than we had uh, originally. So
4: they had to- they answered more than I thought they would. I, I was prepared to not be annoyed again. They, they I was not expecting them to to take out the the ship and call yeah, at all.
3: They blew up all the questions I had. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the only questions that we're left with are questions that we kind of had before. Like, and we actually know more now than we did before, even though we don't have the quote unquote the answer yet. So I'm yeah, not, I think I'm, they, I'm,
5: I think they walked a fine line. I think they gave a good sense of closure in some aspects and cliffhanger in other aspects. And I didn't leave it like like God damn it! I left it like oh that was good. I you know I'm looking forward to it. Not oh you point- annoyed me because what what happens? You know what's yeah. that like coming out of the hatch?
4: I want to coin the phrase right now, uh, an, a, a well-done finale is, is equal parts um, closure and cliffhanger, and we'll call it closehanger. <laughs> <laughs> Put it out there, make it a thing. Ready. Right
1: now. Podcast, go. Oh my god. I mean,
3: Scott, I'm 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 just messing with you, dude. You know I love
2: you. <laughs> Paul <laughs> Paul Wallace, uh, Paul Wallace posted a picture of uh, Christopher Lloyd from Star Trek three where he's in the Klingon makeup and it says, Look, I'm telling you, I'm from Seattle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Carlos Camona said I liked it. I emulate Scott and that I was hoping for more questions uh, than 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 answers. Uh, I was hoping for more answers than questions. I'm sorry, I read that backwards. Uh, James Robert Billington said, brilliant, and does this mean an end to the subtitles for the Klingons? I had no problem with them, but they do distract a little. Can't believe we have to wait, though. Only one problem, and I don't think it is a spoiler, but should should a hidden sensor not have bright lights and make a beeping noise. <laughs> I mean, you don't want it shouting, hey, look at me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, as far as as far as the wait goes, it's not
3: that much. It's a month.
1: Yeah, this is, yeah. Not, it's like, month. Yeah, month this is not like a month and a half. It's, yeah. not,
5: it's six weeks. Look
3: at what Battlestar Galactica did. They made us wait a year for fucking half of a season. Well,
4: they're going <laughs> to make us wait. We'll have a Star Wars in there somewhere between now and then, so that might still, take up some
5: time. I'm still yeah. waiting for the new season of the Venture Brothers, so I can do this standing on my head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit last week that um, – all the all the shows are really doing this now. You know, The Walking Dead is one of the biggest shows on TV, and they do this every year. They show half their shows, and then they break for the holidays because there's there's so much to do over the latter part of November and all of December for people that you, you know, a lot of people are not you know doing appointment TV during that time. They, they, there's just too much going on, so they know that their ratings are going to go down there in that time. That's why people show reruns over Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, the, done that, yeah, yeah, so they're gonna break, and then they're gonna come back in January, so I mean, it's only like uh seven weeks, something like that, so I mean, it's not terrible, and you're gonna have a lot going like like John says, Star Wars is coming out next month, <laughs> so, it's, so 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 we got weeks next week, going. To... so yeah, oh, yeah, that's true, that's true, um now I you know let me let me
3: just say something to all of you kids who are bitching about this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a time when Lord. a season of television. <laughs> Was twenty six goddamn episodes, and then we just had to wait two months for the new ones.
4: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, oh, reruns.
3: They were yeah, awesome. You get twenty six new episodes, and then you'd get two or three months of reruns. Um, I don't like the fact that a se- that that thirteen to fifteen episodes is now what is considered a season. I don't like the 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 mid season hiatuses. Uh, they this this whole new concept pisses me off but if as discovery is doing 15 episodes means that we don't get three or four episodes of filler mm-hmm. and you may or may not feel that that uh, the Harry mud episode was one or not I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it I enjoyed it but yeah it didn't affect the story in in any way shape or form it could have been you know they may have made it that way to plug it in at some point, just in case they got extended, because you don't you don't add another episode just out of the blue. They had to know it was a possibility, uh, you know, to add an extra episode to this season. Um, so they may have had that in reserve to sort of pad it out so that they could they could extend it, whatever, you know. I, and that's fine. But if you're going to give me 15 episode seasons, give me 15 good episodes. Don't give me 10 good episodes and then five fluff. Because that's what you get with a twenty-six season episode. You get, you know, twenty good ones, and then six that are just
5: like, "Oh shit, we're out of stories, we're out of scripts, we're out of money."
3: Have Beverly fuck a ghost?
5: Well, you know, <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because uh, going back to Matt Myra, the host of After Trek, he does a podcast with Kevin Smith about Frasier, and uh, I love Frasier, so I've, I've listened to every episode of that show. But in speaking to a writer of that show, or Kevin Smith and Matt Myra, they're both writers. The conventional wisdom in that old model was that you're going to get seven really good ones, seven middle of the road ones and seven stinkers. Yeah. So I'd rather have yeah. seven really good ones and forget about, you know, the stinkers, you know. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Rick, I'll get off your lawn before I say that. Uh.
2: <laughs> 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 well, you know, you, you've you got when you're making a 26 episode season, you've got a certain amount of money that you can spend on that entire season. Now you can spread that out, or you can take it and make 15 episodes and have better special effects. Which I think that's right. what Disco- Discovery. You can tell where the money's going. I mean, they they've oh, yeah. they've got some cinematic quality special effects going on, and it's not like, like you know we're getting uh you know uh, gypped on the on the uh, on the special effects. So, uh, bullet bingo bingo. This is the last one. Uh, he said I loved it. A brilliant mid. Season finale. The relationship between Burnham and Ash is real. They have great connection and chemistry. Love the Klingons even more. Cole is awesome. Just brilliant. All right. And dead. <laughs>
5: yeah, and he he's dead. was awesome. Not not awesome <laughs> enough apparently.
1: Uh, <laughs> but the, the guy Austin? that plays
3: Cole, Kevin something or other, and I forget his I forget his last name. Uh, he just nailed that part. I, all all of the. You know the acting in this show has been so supremely awesome mm-hmm. that that's not the phrase I wanted to use. <laughs> it's fine. Kind of it's fine. It, it's been it's been so, so far above what we're used to seeing. Uh, you know, nobody is turning in a bad performance. I, I think you mentioned it last week that during the you know during the uh, the. Um, uh, uh, what the hell was last week's called?
2: Sick. Oh, it's that last Stevie Pacum um, Parabellum, and this, it's this, Latin, yeah. and it translates to "If you want peace, prepare for war." I forgot to mention that last yeah. week. <laughs> no, no, you did. Um, I Doug asked Jones you about was
3: it. Doug Jones was crying at, at the at the end, literally crying inside the latex. Uh, and the problem with that was that he couldn't blow his nose because yeah. he was inside that thing. <laughs> right. So it was must have been a horror show when they took that off, but you know it. As, whether you like Seru or not, whether you like the concept of Seru, Doug Jones is just knocking it out of the park every time he gets on screen. Uh, Saniqua Martin Green is so incredible. If you if you don't normally watch After Trek because the the host is annoying or whatever, I highly recommend you watch this one, the the one from last night because Saniqua Martin Green is so luminescent, is how I described her on Facebook.
5: You are tapping into something that I most want to see in this back six or back nine. Can we get Burnham to fucking smile? Because <laughs> Sinequa Martin-Green has got that thousand-watt smile. She is just yeah. so, like you said, luminescent. She's gorgeous, and she just there's just such an affable, playful quality about her when she laughs and when she smiles, and she never gets to do it as Burnham. Because you know she's what? either she the, yeah, the she Vulcan did. flatness or the fraughtness or whatever. It's just like I know that you're growing as a human, like your wife said, Sean, like Sherry said. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, now she's the troubled teen. I yeah. hope I, I hope she turns twenty one soon. Well, she didn't really <laughs>
4: smile at Sasha either. No, yeah, no, she I know. Was on the Walking Dead for <laughs> like
2: two, yeah, but like you know she years. was she wasn't as she on was the in the middle of an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> but that but you know what that makes it that much more valuable. When she does have these moments of happiness. You know. Yeah, but Tilly I mean the closest means...
5: we've gotten is a little smirk. I'm, fine, with just, that. I'm fine. I'm with not that. A, I the only thing I, is I just want to see her smile. That's all. That's <laughs> so much to ask. <laughs> she she is
3: pretty. That's true. But but that's that's the thing about all why I was so excited about this show before it even started is if you hear any off-screen conversations with any of the cast or any of the writers or the producers, anyone involved with this show, they are so devoted to Trek. As you know, they are as much fans of the show as any of us on these microphones right now, and but even more so because they're getting to create it, and they take it seriously. They know how much it means to us, and it means that that much to them too. Uh, they get it. They they realize that they are the caretakers of something that means so much to so many people for so long. And just watching them talk about it is mesmerizing, uh, because they, they are in awe of what they're doing. But when it comes time to, you know, when the, when the director says action, that awe goes away and they do their jobs Mm -hmm. and they do their jobs. Magnificently. There is not a bad take in this show. There is in, in any of these shows, whether you like the scripts or not, uh, Everybody on screen and behind the scenes—from the, the, the makeup artists, the special effects artists, the editors, the the the, uh, the actors, the directors—this show is one of the best produced shows in the entire pantheon of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I'll 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 go toe to toe with anyone that wants to disagree with that. You can have you know we'll, we'll I agree that if you don't if this is not your cup of tea as far as the stories go if you don't think this is Roddenberry's vision whatever the fuck that means <laughs> uh, you know that's fine but you cannot and you know I will not have anyone say that this show is slipshod or a money grab or cheap or anything because this show is hitting every freaking beat every week and I can't wait to see what's going on and if waiting a month you know seven weeks a month and a half whatever, means that they're going to have the time to continue that quality i'm there because how many times have we as star trek fans gone all right this isn't great but at least it's trek yeah you know many many times we've been there this isn't that time and i'm loving it and i am one of the hardest i'm part of that hard audience to please when it comes to star trek uh you know, but I'm in. I'm also in that camp that you. I can be pleased with Star Trek. I'm not one of those. Are, you know? Fuck this. If it's not Kirk and Spock, I'm. You know, I did that. I was that guy in 1986, and I'm not anymore. And I'm enjoying every minute of this show, even when it's not always something I I like. And and I love the fact he keeps proving me wrong. You know, we we say, oh, next week oh, I expect this to happen, and then they go completely somewhere else. And you're like, holy shit, they just killed Cole. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm going to end my monologue now, but just, if, if you, you know, if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't watched the show, and if you're at this far in the, po- in the show and you haven't watched it, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway.
2: We've, we've spoiled everything.
3: Got... <laughs> yeah, we spoiled everything. If you have friends who haven't watched the show because they think it's not Star Trek. Uh, or if they think it's too different now i i've you know I've, i also have friends who are like i'm not paying for that well fine you know i can't fight that anymore i'm tired of that battle if you don't want to pay for it fine i think star trek's worth 10 bucks a month yeah uh I, you know i started with the 6.99 and after the first week of commercials I'm like fuck that honey we're, we're upping it ten. <laughs> <laughs> um this show is so much trek and you know if gene was alive today I think he could be convinced to to, to like it. Uh, I think that's it's not his... that's
5: completely wrong, but okay.
3: <laughs> well, I, it's not his. It's not the vision he had, but also the vision he had was not just him.
5: But the, but, the but Gene, as he got older, didn't he? he didn't understand oh, that. Yeah, that's true. If he yeah. if he was alive today, he'd be really really
3: pissed off about it. But if like the Gene that created Star Trek in 1966 was still around, I think he could be brought around to this you know Rod Roddenberry is an executive producer on the
1: show right yeah uh,
3: so you know I I this is Trek this is Star Trek and the DNA of Star Trek is woven through every frame of this show uh, and you know it, it's yeah it's rougher it's it's harsher there's blood there's guts there's Klingon boobs <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is this is a trek that Trek fans can love and should love and if they just give it a chance. And I'm I'm just I'm I'm so frustrated with people that haven't even given it a chance that keep the arvels better. You know? <laughs> yeah, fun. but well, you don't yeah, yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> what, why do you, why what, even bother having that argument, you know? Yeah.
4: When the show comes back in January and you do the first um, you know, episode ten review, just change the name of our show to F bombs and Klingon Boobs.
2: <laughs> that'll, that'll
4: whatever stragglers they may be,
2: we we'll probably oh, get man. more downloads. <laughs> we definitely get Hey, I've
5: been looking for a new podcast. John, you you up for it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! We really have uh, okay, to that so uh, so uh, to, I usually try to talk about the the title of the episode because th- this season of uh Discovery has had some very interesting titles. Uh, a lot of them are based on classic literature. Uh, a couple of them are not. The Vulcan Hello, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I
3: love that book by Salinger. It was amazing. Right.
2: <laughs> this one, a bunch of phonies. So I go, and that is <laughs> that is a reference. Uh, like Rick said earlier, it's a quote by uh, John Muir. Is that how you pronounce it, Muir? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who was a na- uh, nature lover and an author? In hundreds, we're losing. Yeah, that, you're though, Sean. Yeah, you What's do that? definitely keep dropping out.
3: Sean, you're breaking up. You're breaking I'm, up I'm I'm still here.
2: You okay. you <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh in, and into the forest I go to lose my mind and find my soul, which could be applied to both Ash and Stamets for this and Michael for that matter, uh in or this Lorca. episode. Yeah, yeah, true.
4: What are the Povins doing while there's this massive space battle going on like over, over their heads? Are they are they just watching? Are they just like are they like because they basically, they invited everyone to their house for dinner, and then they, you know, basically there's a knife fight on the front lawn. So, like...
3: <laughs> Jesus, Bob, did you think that would have... Fuck, no. <laughs> just me the we curtains. I was going to make
2: espresso. <laughs> I mean, they're calling I, I, the, they're calling it's, the it's doctor not... for the crossover episode.
4: <laughs> right. It just, it just seemed like, again, not that it was necessarily... I don't know that they needed to do it. It just seemed weird that, you know, they're suddenly out of the conversation.
5: You Uh, know, it's it's funny, though, um, now that you mention that, the Pavins are going to be, quote, a a race that we see more of in in this. Wouldn't it be amazing since they've demonstrated that they can transport uh, any living being or any biomatter on the planet at will to wherever they want to on the planet's surface? What if they're so freaking horrified that the the next team that goes down to try to talk to them, they just sort of vault them out into the into the stratosphere? Because <laughs> this isn't what we were expecting. Oh my god! I what kinda, did we let in? You know, I that kinda
3: would be had an that would be cool. <laughs>
5: what is what does this thing
2: breathe? <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> kind of like, had an idea. Please, thank you. If the if they are like spore based, then. Possibly, they might be what they have to use to get back home because yeah, like the, the score drive may not be usable anymore after it almost killed Stammets. <laughs> you know.
3: Well, you, you you know what occurred to me last night is I was thinking about first of all I was I was doing a little bit of face palming because I'm like, all right, now we're going to have to listen to seven weeks of people going, they're in the mirror universe. Yes, we are. And I, I, you know, I love Jonathan Frakes, but I, I want to kick him in the shit. <laughs> just just,
1: did you have to say that?
3: Um, but something occurred to me. Now, I don't I don't really think this is going to be the case. But what if they never make it back? And that's why we never heard of any of this.
5: Yeah. <laughs> but then we're talking, it's like interdimensional Voyager.
3: Well, yeah, because the thing is, I was thinking, all right, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where... Like with Voyager, well, we've got to get home. Well, if we get home, if we, you know, if we find an actual way to get home, then the then the show is over. And I'm like, well, yeah, but of course they're going to find a way home eventually. And then I thought, well, for once they don't have to. For once we don't have that imperative that we know they're going to make it back eventually.
4: We don't. Well, along don't those like that. lines, oh. along those lines, it, that kind of occurred to me too. But we also they've they've well established that the Spore Drive. You know, again, it's not just space, it's also time. So they may make it back, you know, in next generation time or after that. Or, you know, it would would maybe, you know, a couple hundred years for our time might be a couple, or it might be a couple, you know, years for them. could be a thousand years for, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. right, yeah.
5: I just think that uh, we're going to be in trouble if we see Scrappy Ensign Quinn Mallory team up with uh, Professor Arturo from down in Biosciences. and I don't know, I'm just trying to make a dopey Sliders joke. Slider if, if anybody sliders gets it, scale. sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got it. Yeah.
1: Okay
3: see so, yeah, i w- I was trying to get it to be thirteen thousand years ago, and they run into a- some cylons on the planet <laughs> right.
5: well, I mean that's one thing though I think that maybe this show did wrong, Rick. I know that you have gone on and on about how perfect it was, but i'm sorry
3: we- uh, no, no please please don't 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 take that as as me saying it's perfect. i
5: i will just i'll just say this i mean the whole please the don't. whole Tyler as vok question it's not important as a reveal if he's vok. We should have known that right from the start because it makes it so much more compelling. Think about – you you mentioned that they they named an episode uh, in honor of Ron Moore, the number of jumps in this episode for Ron Moore. We always knew who the Cylons were from episode one. And it never made the show – yeah, we did. We just didn't know the final five, but the final five didn't know the final five. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And once once they were revealed – Right. But what I'm saying is I think it would have been more interesting to not keep that as a reveal, to have that agent provocateur. And maybe maybe the thing is he did get transformed into some kind of human. Maybe he has to fight with that because now he sees things from a different perspective. I I don't know. I mean, that's maybe just my hack idea coming out. But it would have been... More if it does turn out that he's Vok, I think it would have been much more interesting and the story possibilities would have been greater if we had known it all along. That's all.
4: I am I am still hoping that um even if she has initiated because again, Laurel on the other hand is a master strategist. And I can see her having backup plans to her backup plans. Um I think that um Tyler is in some way again under her thumb but I think it would also be good if she did legitimately defect, and she just kept him as like a her ace in the hole, for when things go bad. If things go bad,
1: okay.
5: Her pet tar.
4: Yeah, I I love I love L'Oreal. I I love
3: h- how she seems to be playing everybody, and I can't. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what her. You know, she's been a Jesuit crafty. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. And, and I love what they're doing with her. And, 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 and I don't disagree with you, uh, Chris, um, I, you know, I, I don't think the show is perfect. I, and I just think that it's from a production standpoint, it is, it is being done beautifully. Oh,
5: absolutely. Uh, yeah, there, absolutely. Yeah.
3: You know, there are definitely, you know, the, the, the big censors were kind of silly. Um, you know, and, and yeah, it, if, if Ash is Vok, they're going to have to come up with some really freaking good explanation, or I'm I'm just not going to buy it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I I don't disagree with you there.
2: Yeah, I don't I, I don't, don't like the I don't like the way that they're trying to trick us by making up an actor that doesn't exist. But Javad Javad Have you seen his Twitter? Uh huh.
3: Have you seen his Twitter? I, I, I stumbled across it the other day and it's hilarious because it, you know, it's the real whatever his name is, Equin Veshlababla. Jabad Iqbal was, or something like that. Yeah, that, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> every tweet is like I just went to and, and went to this like a real actor would do. Every <laughs> single tweet has some point where he's like I as I'm a real actor going <laughs> to the bathroom like a real actor would do. <laughs>
2: I'm a and real boy. totally
3: playing this up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's great. I, you know, there, there's a sense of humor to this that's awesome. That that you know, the, the the show is so serious, and then there's all of this silliness going on
2: around the fringes, which is well. Awesome. Yeah, the guy that plays Ash, I uh, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh,
3: Shazi Shazad. Yeah,
2: Shazad Latif. S- that's it. He uh, yeah. he was interviewed and uh, they kind of mentioned Javadik Ball or something like that and asked him is, is he real because you know there's no pictures of him online you know we uh, had, there's nothing on his IMDb but except for Star Trek and it's like well yeah he's real I met him at a party. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean it's also if, misguided look in the mirror <laughs>
1: yeah.
5: all right exactly yeah. <laughs> i met him at a party that i was throwing at my house right <laughs> um but it's also just misguided for anybody producing a show these days especially one that you're not going to just drop like a netflix show where you can binge it all at once to be able to keep a secret like that in the age of the internet it it, it it's impossible so, it, it's, to me, it's like another misguided choice. I mean, yeah. if you're going to have misdirection, at least cast a genuinely different actor under that makeup or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's...
3: Well, there was there was one theory I saw that was interesting, which was that, uh, you know, Iqbal is real, but he got fired for posting that picture, uh, that behind the scene picture of all the Klingons.
5: Or... Did they post that behind the scenes picture of all the Klingons so they, they would have a quote excuse to fire this, this supposed ball? Ah,
2: yeah. well, see, now that's, that's
3: hole, Benny Jesuit
5: Crafty there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Case 22, yeah.
4: <laughs> I, am right. I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, Dragon Ball Z, but I am. I, Not at all. Awesome. I am hoping for uh, Lorel to take a piccolo like. Uh, character development. Google it. All right, go ahead, Sean.
1: You mean, you mean like <laughs>
3: like witchy-poo going after the magic flute?
5: No. <laughs> I got it, Rick. I got it. I, I feel no, like a...
3: no, I got it. But... You, you can come back on my lawn now. <laughs> I don't know if I want
4: to. <laughs> I was just dabbling. only went back to the 90s. Damn, sorry, Rick.
5: <laughs> That's the kind of shit we had to watch growing up.
2: Um... But that's uh, pretty much going to do it for this episode. I want to re- remind you guys of something. Uh, we're taking a break for the holidays. We'll be back when episode ten airs in January. So make sure that you've sus- subscribed to the podcast wherever you get the show, and you'll see it when we uh, when we drop a new episode. But even though after show isn't airing, that doesn't mean that you can't find us. John and Rick and myself do another podcast. Where we talk, sometimes we talk about Star Trek, but we also talk about Marvel and Star Wars, and who would win in a fight between the Tin Man and the little girl from Small Wonder? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I don't, I don't talk nearly as much on that one as as I do. With this one. <laughs> it's called the uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. And uh, where can you find it? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, as well as our website at CosmicPotato.com. So come and check that out. And we'll be releasing new episodes weekly through the holidays. And we're going to do a uh, our Christmas episode next month. We're going to be doing a movie commentary, and I'm not going to announce the movie here. I'll announce it on our show uh, this week.
3: Um, oh, that's
2: right. I've got to find that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Oh, is it on Netflix? Well, yeah, but don't 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 stream it and try to Skype at the same time. That's not that's not a good combination. <laughs> I bought it I bought it on D V D from Amazon for like five bucks. So but as far as this show goes, of course, uh, th- we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, and over at simply where you'll also find dozens of other podcasts that range in topics from billions. <laughs> Billions. from sci-fi to horror to sports to gaming and everything in between so uh actually not billions <laughs> millions not billions this would be a little sagan copia <laughs> <laughs> all right chris thanks for being here
5: thanks i have a blast as always so i'm just happy you invite me and uh, if you want me back for any other episode i'll be happy to uh, get back on rick's lawn and shake my fist
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh john pleasure as always F-bombs and Klingon boobs. (laughs) Oh, man. I would title the episode that, except that I used actual episode titles, but maybe in parentheses. No, please don't. (laughs) And, Rick, thanks for being here. I'm going to go out and yell at a cloud. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, listeners. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, listeners, for supporting the show by downloading and taking part in discussions online. You've You've made us the most uh, downloaded Discovery Podcast on SoundCloud, and there are a lot of them on SoundCloud. <laughs> and uh, and we truly appreciate that. We'll be back after the January 7th premiere of Episode 10, which is titled Despite Yourself and is directed by Jonathan Frakes. So until then, we hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and any other holiday that you celebrate. And uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes, or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.